Welcome to the Another Photographer podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Johnstone, a wedding and portrait photographer of 13 years. In this podcast, I talk about my journey to becoming a successful photographer and all the challenges that came with it, with a focus on designing a six-figure career that leads to fulfillment without burnout. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my brand new podcast. This is Melissa Johnstone. I'm a wedding and portrait photographer based in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And at this point in time, as I'm recording episode number one, I do not have a title for this podcast yet. So by the time you're listening, I have decided on one and that is what you clicked on. So thank you so much for showing up today. I'm here to create some content that will hopefully be helpful to all my solo entrepreneur friends and photographers alike who are looking to be more happy and fulfilled in their business. So first of all, with this introductory episode, I wanted to share my humble beginnings of how I started this little photography business of mine way back in the day. Now, here is something to imagine. Let me paint a picture for you. So I am not quite newly engaged, but my now husband and I were talking about getting engaged at this point. It was 2007 in the fall. I began looking at wedding photos online. I know that sounds a little creepy, but it was because I was Googling Winnipeg wedding photos and Winnipeg wedding photography to get wedding ideas for when Gavin and I finally became engaged and got to plan our own wedding. It was something I was excited about and I loved looking at the different types of decor and wedding dresses, etc. Now, this was just an innocent little hobby, but once we became engaged and really started planning, it was probably closer to the beginning of 2008 that this new endeavor really sank in. I really became attached to these photos in the way that I felt like I needed to be the one creating them. Now, to give you a little bit of background, when I was very, very young, and I'm talking like three, four years old, the first thing I would do when I came home from nursery school was get out a sheet of paper and start drawing or painting or creating something. It was just what I did every day. Art was a huge part of my life and continued to be a huge part of my life, basically, until I graduated high school and got into university. Portraits were my favorite thing to draw. And I had a few mediums that I preferred, one being a 2B pencil and the other being acrylic paints. But I basically loved everything and loved trying everything. But I loved drawing people. When it came to choose a career path, I wasn't too crazy about the idea of going into the arts because there was that idea of being a starving artist. I wasn't sure how this would make sense for me in a monetary way, how I would actually make money doing this. It felt like it was just sort of a hobby that I like to do. And I sort of left it behind and took the athletic side of me as my career path and became a physiotherapist, which I absolutely loved. 
Now, I missed out a little bit in high school on the art side of things as I was in an accelerated program. So I had a really packed schedule and it meant that I could no longer take the arts classes I wanted to. I managed to sneak one in at lunchtime that they did special for a few of us that wanted to continue with the arts, but um, that was about it. So it wasn't something I was focusing on anymore, but definitely something that was missing from my life. So fast forward now to 2008, me staring at these beautiful wedding blogs and thinking like, you know, I never got to learn photography in high school. It was always something I was really interested in. I feel like I really want to learn photography. And just in the back of my mind thinking like, I don't know how, but one day I feel like I'm going to be taking wedding photos for people. So I got a little point and shoot for a wedding gift from my husband. And I know that doesn't sound like much, but back in the day, like point and shoots were king because we didn't have fancy cell phone cameras back then. And so, you know, everybody would bring their little pocket point and shoot out for a night out to take pictures with their friends and everything. So having a really good one that could take really good low light photography, et cetera, was super important and was definitely an asset back in the day. So this little Canon PowerShot in particular, I realized that I could learn manual mode on it. So I started playing around with that and looking at uh, websites on learning very basic photography and just practicing dialing in those settings. Now, this was obviously a royal pain in the ass because uh, point and shoot is not really designed to quickly change manual settings. So I got frustrated pretty quickly and realized that I needed to up my game. So in 2009, I went on Kijiji and found myself a used DSLR and it was a Canon Rebel and it was silver and it was tiny. And it came with a telephoto lens and a wide zoom of some fashion with a tripod, some memory cards, basically everything I needed to get started. And I went to town on teaching myself. I think the thing that helped me the most at this point in time was that not only was I really enjoying it, but I was practicing a ton. When I talk about later on being very confident in myself, while shooting a wedding, I think a lot of it was because I had honed in those skills with so much practice and felt so good about it that if anything went wrong, I felt like we could handle it right away. But anyways, back to 2009, here I am teaching myself manual mode and ended up getting a little flash and taught myself how to use flash. And this is just using um, blogs on the internet on intro to DSLR photography. So one thing I did to practice was just bring my camera everywhere. Now, my friends got used to seeing me with this camera, and I would just have it with me on weekends. If we went to a friend's cabin, the camera would tag along, and it really allowed me to learn how to use manual mode in basically every setting you can imagine in low-pressure environments where no one really cared. I was just kind of taking candids. I wasn't really setting up photos. I was just playing around and learning how to use 
manual mode in high sun and how to expose properly if I wanted to backlight someone in high sun, for example. And then when the sun would go down and we were sitting around the fire, I got to play around with low light and pumping my ISO. And I would pop that flash on and I would teach myself how to bounce it off the ceiling in the cabin. And I would teach myself how to put um, something on it to create a less harsh light if I'm shooting people around the around the fire or outside at night where I can't bounce that light. And by the way, I used a Kleenex with a hair elastic and it worked perfectly and actually looked amazing. And um, I I would absolutely do that now if I had to. <laughs> so all of this practice amounted to me taking thousands and thousands of photos and having lots of time to hone in my skills. And then once I felt really confident in those skills, I signed up for a six-week intro to photography course through Prairie View, which is no longer called Prairie View here in Winnipeg. And the name is blanking on me now. I'm so sorry, Casey. My friend teaches there and it's completely sweaty at this moment. Um, but they had a little intro course and I believe it was six weeks. Anyways, it was an evening course. I attended and I loved how it really allowed me to first of all see how much I had already taught myself and I was really impressed with what I already knew but also just a bunch of little things that I had never thought about things that were good to know and some extra skills that ended up coming in handy later even though I didn't need them at that point in time so after taking that course I felt super confident in trying some shoots now, this would have been in the summer of 2009. What I did at this point, I don't really recommend that anybody does, but I'm going to talk about it <laughs> because it's part of my messy beginnings and I really didn't know what I was doing. So I wanted practice. Again, I went to Kijiji and I posted a little ad saying that I am learning photography and just came out of a course and I would like to practice my skills. And if anybody had a wedding coming up and they would like some extra candidates to be taken during the day, I would love to come out at no charge, put it out there on the internet and just waited to see what would happen. Now, I definitely got a few bites and I ended up going to two of these weddings for free. Now, again, I do not recommend this. And I quickly realized why this was a bad idea. By asking to second shoot for somebody and either doing that for free or doing it as a paid position, that would have been much, much better. And, and I probably would have learned much more and developed some better relationships off the get-go. But that's what I did. The photographers that were hired to shoot these weddings, first of all, were not impressed. And I completely understand this now, which is why I have a little extra thing in my contract saying, please no other photographers, professional photographers at the wedding. I should be the only one shooting and I'm allowed to ask people to leave or stop shooting over my shoulder, et cetera, et cetera. So anyways, I was very respectful and I definitely didn't try to step on anyone's toes. 
but still it was super awkward. But it allowed me to see behind the scenes right away and kind of understand how weddings worked, how the timeline worked and everything. And just as an FYI, you can easily do this by by asking to second shoot for somebody and either doing that for free or doing it as a paid position. And so sorry to my friend Tracy, if you're listening, she was one of the main photographers at one of the weddings I shot. So after being an absolutely annoying second quote-unquote photographer, you might say uninvited photographer, if you are asking the main hired photographer. But either way, being at those weddings sort of eased the fear of weddings in general. And I thought, man, I could absolutely do this. And the next step was for me to go back to Kijiji. A lot of Kijiji in this story, hey? I'm just giving them so many promos. Uh, went back to Kijiji, post another little ad, offering to shoot someone's wedding for the low, low price of $300. I got some bites and I ended up shooting this wedding for this absolutely lovely couple. And it was a culture very different from mine. So I learned a lot there. But again, it allowed me to really practice and have a full day all on my own. I got to do all the directing and really play around and see what it's like to work with a little bit more pressure and where the stakes are a little higher. And I'm definitely happy that I shot raw for that one because um, in the moment I wasn't watching my exposure a few times and definitely ended up having to fix some files. But good thing I was smart enough to do that. And shooting this wedding allowed me to look at starting a website. So I wanted to fill in the blanks on this website and have a little bit more to shoot. So I rounded up a couple friends who were interested in just doing some sessions that looked like engagement sessions. If someone was engaged, I would offer to shoot it for free. And it was now over the winter that I was building this website. So I got some friends to put their wedding dress and suits back on. And I rented out a really cool space downtown, which I don't even think you could shoot at anymore. Um, but upstairs at the Millennium Center, which is like this super grungy, it was, you know, quite dirty, but, you know, cool old paint peeling from the walls. And that was really on vogue at the time. And I took a few couples up there and got some shots that I was very, very proud of and happy with and used those shots on my new website along with the wedding that I had shot. And I was absolutely thrilled with the way my website looked. It was hideous at the start. It was hot pink. Um... (laughs) And eventually this became turquoise. Um, I realized that I don't like pink and (laughs) never did. And so why would I make my website pink? Anyways, I thought this would attract more people and it really felt inauthentic. And so I switched it immediately. But if I backtrack just for a sec before I started the website, I needed a business name. And so... (laughs) I sat there scribbling down some business names, and this was before it was cool to have your name be something and something, but I really wanted that. I really wanted my business name to be something and something. I don't know why. I had never really heard this before, but it excited me. And for some reason, I wanted the first word to be sugar. It sounded really good to me at the time, and I knew there was a second word in there. So I remember having a 
a piece of paper and it had like sugar and blah, sugar and blah, sugar and blah, and just all these things all the way down. And the one that I was the most excited about was sugar and sin. And then my husband quickly pointed out that this sounded like a strip club name. So I um, scratched that and settled on sugar and soul photography which is still my business name today and honestly I don't know that I'm in love with this business name anymore but so many people know me as that and it's done a lot for me so it's just gonna stay <laughs> it's just gonna stay and my my logo for it right now is pretty killer which maybe I'll talk about on a different episode because that logo means a lot to me but anyways okay so back to my website. My websites are getting a little more robust as I started adding shoots to it and adding a blog to it. And I noticed that right away, right away I was busy. And I, I'm not sure exactly what I did right, right off the bat. I think number one is that my clients were really, really, really happy with everything that I did for them. They were really happy with the photos, of course, but they were really happy with the service, with my turnaround, with working with me and so forth. I developed a little pricing system to start and made a pricing sheet, which I did not post online at the time, but I would send to people when they would email me through my contact form. And I booked out my 2010 year. I had 27 weddings that year and it was wild. All of those weddings had engagement sessions, so those were 27 engagement sessions. And I was busy, busy, and I just felt like everything went so quickly. At this time, networking was something that I really, really valued. I, I really wanted to be in the industry. I wanted to make friends. I wanted to have close friends that were photographers because... It's a really isolating career, or it can be a really isolating career because you are by yourself a lot. Whether or not you work with a second shooter, you're still, you still feel like you're on a little bit of an island, especially with all the back end stuff and the sorting and editing and emailing and all that, all that stuff. You're kind of in your own little workspace. And it's nice to have someone to bounce ideas off of and just to share experiences and get advice from. So one thing that I found, and this was a different time, this was a very, very different time than now. Um, the networking at that time was quite difficult. And I found that the wedding industry where I live in Winnipeg at that time wasn't super, super inviting. There were definitely lovely people in it, but I didn't necessarily know who those people were right off the bat. I knew who the really popular sought after People were at that time the ones that were shooting weddings for, you know, seven to 10 grand. And those were the people that I reached out to. And I, I didn't find a lot of, well, first of all, no one answered me right off the bat. No one answered me. And I remember getting like an anonymous email after shooting a wedding reception. So a very popular local photographer shot a wedding and he was done at, the reception and so he wasn't shooting it and went home and this bride hired me to come and shoot the reception I think I did it for like a hundred bucks because I'd never done one before and I stayed there till 10 o'clock and shot the reception and then I put it on my blog and um, I got a nasty anonymous email after saying the industry talks 
which sounded a little threatening and mean. And I didn't really understand why anyone would do that to a new photographer who didn't know anybody. And I thought, okay, what did I do wrong? I didn't try to steal this person from someone. I didn't say, hey, I somehow know that you don't have reception coverage with your photographer. Want to save some money and hire me? I didn't know that. She found me on Kijiji. So anyways, I thought that was pretty low. And now I'm I'm pretty sure I know who did that. But anyways, it was it was just nasty. And I, I it left a bad taste in my mouth. And I thought, oh, is this what the wedding industry is really like? Like, you know, if I become big. I definitely want to create a community that's welcoming and where people, you know, don't feel like there's secrets, like where I will share my experiences and advice openly with others and and help them because I, I really felt like I didn't have a lot of help for a while. Then I eventually did make some really good friends and and that was amazing and that really helped me as well because what would happen would, would be they would get an inquiry they would be booked and then they would forward the couple along to me and say like no we're not available but check out our friend Mel Sugar and Soul and that would get me so many clients that were the type of clients that I really wanted at the time so that was super helpful too so networking is so 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 valuable and it, you want it to be genuine like these people that were my referral circle, I, I did consider them very, very good friends. And I I was extremely grateful for them as people, not just as uh, ways to kind of get clients and make money. So yeah, networking is huge, huge, huge in the beginning. I would raise my prices very, very gradually over time. Because like I said, my first wedding, I booked at $300. And all of these 2010 weddings were definitely not booked at $300. I believe my starting price was $900. And what I did, I remember Jasmine Starr, if you remember who that is, she was a very popular photographer, I think based in California. Um, but at the time, everyone was following Jasmine Starr. And one of her pieces of advice was, when you're first starting, every time you book three weddings, raise your prices by $300. And so that's exactly what I did until I hit a point that I was really comfortable at staying at for a little bit. And that helped me not stay in a certain price point for too, too long and also not be so far from the price point that, you know, if if someone referred me to their friend, let's say, who was who just got engaged and I had just shot their friend's wedding, I wouldn't be so far from the price that their friend booked me at by the time they inquired with me. So that was super helpful to do a gradual price increase. Now, let me paint another picture for you. This was such a different time. So now we're sitting around 2010 where I'm in my first big season. And this was a time of, there's no Instagram. And I think maybe, I don't remember the year that Instagram first started, but if it was even around, like I definitely wasn't on it. And I didn't know anyone on it. I used paper contracts. A CRM wasn't something I knew anything about. <laughs> and online contracts, I don't believe, were a thing at the time. So every couple that I was going to possibly book, I would meet with in person and I would have a paper contract ready to go just in case. And so, you know, deposit was usually paid in cash or check. Delivery of files was done on a DVD. We would burn those discs and mail them out or clients would pick them up. 
There was not Google Maps. For every wedding that I shot, I had to print out a giant pile of MapQuest directions from location to location so I did not get lost. And social media was basically Facebook. And everyone looked for wedding photographers by searching Google and seeing their friends' wedding photos on Facebook when they were tagged in them or seeing their blog posts posted on Facebook. And also, you know, of course, there were the big wedding shows and wedding magazines had a little bit more influence back in the day. So I did actually spend a lot of money on print ads and magazines when I first started because I thought, well, it can't hurt. I can't tell you exactly how many clients it got me. I know definitely a few because people told me they found me in magazines. But for the most part, I found that my clients were coming from word of mouth and they were coming from seeing their friends being tagged in my blog posts on Facebook and seeing those clients also post their photos on Facebook and tag me in them and reposting my blog posts, etc. So back in the day, I was doing blog posts of absolutely every single wedding I shot. Every single wedding that was key to have a blog post. And that was, I believe, the number one way that people found me. So yeah, these were definitely different times. Of course, I was much slower at editing. So every wedding I was spending probably, you know, 10 hours after the fact. And everything took a little bit longer. You're spending longer with consults because now they're all in person and there's paper and you have to keep track of paper contracts and making sure you put everything in a calendar. At that point, my calendar was just printed out. If I wanted to check if I was available, I had to get my book out. And definitely a few mistakes were made there. I remember like almost double booking a wedding and being on the way to a consult, basically to meet with someone to sign a contract. They were set on booking and then being like, oh my gosh, I'm just looking in my thing right now. And I found a contract that I didn't put in my printed calendar and I am not available for your date. I'm so sorry. Like it was so, so, so awkward. So now with all the technology we have to basically book a wedding and it automatically goes into your calendar and everything's automated, the invoicing and stuff. Oh, it's so much easier and I'm so grateful for it. So I'm going to stop there because so much happened after that. And there's so many changes that happened after that with you know, starting a family and things, you know, learning things as I went along. But those were my humble beginnings. And I will just share a few things that I learned right off the bat and things that I would have done differently. So number one, something I learned right away and very early, and I'm very grateful for this, is that you need to be good at giving direction. Now, this doesn't mean you have to micromanage everything and pose everyone down to the fingernail. But people do feel more at ease when they know that you've got your back and can give them some direction. Um, now, this is, of course, just for the, you know, the parts of the day where we are directing things. If we're talking about a wedding, a lot of it, I shoot documentary style and I do not step in. I'm just making sure the lighting's good, opening a blind if I need to, otherwise allowing the day to flow and be as authentic as possible in the way that I capture it. But you know, when you're doing the creative portraits or you've got the wedding party and you, you know, you have 30 minutes to get those photos in, you've got to give some direction. And 
I learned this the hard way. A local photographer reached out to me to do her boudoir session, and I was thrilled because this woman was very talented and beautiful, and having her in front of my camera was such a joy. And I remember getting lost in the moment and just taking her photos and being so excited and sending her her photos. And the email that I got back was, you know, she was very grateful and appreciative, but she did say like, you, you do need, I do recommend that you give some more direction to your clients and blah, 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 makes them feel more comfortable and whatever. And what had happened was she was just so confident and natural from the camera that I just let her do her thing. And gave almost no direction because she kind of knew what she wanted. And so I just let her take control. And I was also the the newbie in the situation. And I thought this was just how it went. I'd never done a boudoir session before. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just I just didn't know. And so that clued me in. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't even realize because she was so wonderful and natural. So, I mean, if you do have just like a quick hint, if you do have someone in front of your camera who's very natural and you're just kind of letting them move and 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 be natural for you, I I do like to say that hey, like you're you're already doing it and you're doing all these wonderful things for me, so I'm just stepping back and like taking this in. But I do guide them, like I do tell them where to where to go and sit and 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 all that stuff and if I need them to move something, move their hand, put their foot a different way, of course. But there are moments where you can just let them go off, be themselves and I just let them know that that's happening so they don't think I'm just kind of taking a little break or something. <laughs> Another thing I learned is to really make sure <laughs> that you know where you're going and make sure you have the right addresses before a wedding day or event. Now, this maybe isn't as big of a thing with like iPhone maps and Google maps. But even so, I've had things not show up properly or not be in the right location, especially if it's like an out of town spot, like out in the rural area in Manitoba. I always make sure I have like a pin from a client because sometimes the ones on Google are wrong or you can get very easily lost if you lose um, cell service. So still kind of important, but I'll share a quick story that I, I've shared this story on my other podcast, which is a podcast for photographers. It's more comedy based and it's basically, you know, funny or embarrassing stories of things that happen to photographers and videographers on the job. And we keep them anonymous, but we do share some of our own stories. This is myself and my associate, uh, Dwayne Larson. But you may have heard this story before. Feel free to skip ahead if you have. But what had happened was I was shooting a wedding. The The ceremony was to be out of town, but all the getting ready and portraits were done beforehand in the city. And there was about a 45-minute drive between the two locations. So what happened was I had parked my car downtown and, you know, gone to do the shoot with the client. I had a second shooter with me. Her car was parked back at the Getting Ready location, which was the Fort Gary Hotel, which was a little bit of backtracking. This was a Sunday afternoon. I didn't foresee it being a problem to drive two minutes back to get her car. So I said, sure, just jump in with me and I'll drive you back to your car for the drive to the ceremony, which was at the same site as the reception. So this way she'd have her car to get home and I wouldn't have to drive her back later. Anyways, so... 
we're done shooting pictures. Bride and groom wedding party are off to the ceremony site. They're on the way. My second shooter and I jump back in my car, go back to the Fort Gary Hotel. I drop her off. She goes to get her car. And all of a sudden, I'm stuck in the worst traffic imaginable as the Pride Parade was on that day. And I was kind of stuck around the actual parade route and had a really hard time getting out of downtown. And so this added a lot of time to my drive. And I quickly realized that I was way behind schedule and I probably wasn't going to make it for the start of the ceremony. So as I'm in the car, and this was back in the day where it was like, you're allowed to talk on the cell phone in the car, I was trying to get a hold of my clients. I was calling the bride, I was calling the groom, and nobody was answering. And I was kind of freaking out because I was still half an hour away and the ceremony was supposed to start basically like in 25 minutes. And I had never been to that location before and so on. So I, I was definitely in a little bit of a panic. And the location that was written down in an email was Pine Ridge. So I drove to a location called Pine Ridge Hollow, which I knew about. And I parked and I got out of my car and I'm walking around and there is nobody in sight. There's nobody in the tent. There's nobody at the ceremony site. I am so confused. I finally found someone that worked there and they said there wasn't a wedding there today. And I was in pure panic mode. My heart was racing. I was like, the ceremony should have started eight minutes ago. No one's called me. So I get back in my car, heart racing. I call my husband. Thankfully, he picks up. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I just got to the ceremony. No one's here. And I can't get a hold of anyone. I can't get a hold of my second shooter because she doesn't have a cell phone. So I didn't know if she was there or not. I, I just, I felt so lost. And so Gab said, okay, well, where are you? I said, I'm at, I'm at Pine Ridge. And he said, Pine Ridge Hollow or Pine Ridge Golf? And I said, there's two? And he said, yeah, they're two completely different locations, but they're very close to each other. So you're at Pine Ridge Hollow? I said, yeah. He's like, well, Pine Ridge Golf Course is just down the road. But <laughs> now anyone who knows this venue or knows Birds Hill Park knows that there's two entrances into Pine Ridge Hollow. One's in the park, one's outside of the park, and they do not connect. There's a gate closed in between them. I had gone to the one inside the park. So now I had to drive all the way around the park, get out of the park, and get back on that gravel road towards Pine Ridge Golf. So I now know where I'm going because my husband is directing me, and I am driving like probably 130 through a park where the speed limit is 60 kilometers an hour. And I finally pull up at Pine Ridge Golf Course. I see some people in cocktail dresses walking towards an area and I grabbed my stuff. I took off my shoes and held them in my hands and I started sprinting. And I went past these people and I just said, is the wedding over there? And they said, yes. And so I sprinted, sprinted, sprinted. As soon as I got to this spot, the trees opened up and I saw that the bride was already at the end of the aisle hugging her mom and dad. So she'd already, the, all the wedding party had already walked down the aisle. The ceremony had started and I wasn't there. So I very quickly threw on my shoes and started shooting. And I heard someone gasp and say, Melissa, as in like, oh my God, she's just getting here. And no one freaking knew. So anyways, fast forward, ceremony ends. The bride is like, I'm so sorry. I thought you were here. We asked if the photographer was here and 
someone said yes. And so we started, but it sounds like they thought that one of the uncles who had a camera was the photographer because he was standing up taking photos. So they were actually very apologetic, thank goodness. And I offered to reshoot the procession if they wanted to just get some, you know, photos. We could just fake that part. And they were like, no, 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 that's not super important to us. Like, we're glad you're here. My second shooter never did make it. She didn't know where she was going and she didn't have a cell phone. So apparently, like an hour later, called the venue and left them a message for me. And I was just, I was so like mad about this whole situation that I didn't, I don't even think I called her back after. But anyways, so moral of the story is know where you're going. (laughs) It's very helpful. And had I double checked which venue it was or knew that there was two, I could have avoided that whole messy situation. Another thing I learned right off the bat is that you do not make money in the wedding photography industry or probably the photography industry for a while. The expenses are astronomical. The gear is very expensive. I quickly realized that my little intro DSLR that I had purchased used off Kijiji was not good enough to shoot weddings. It didn't have the capabilities to shoot in lower light that I needed for dark churches. And I needed lenses that could do the same. So I did have to upgrade right away. And I did need a backup body. You can't shoot with one camera. You need to have another one at least in your bag, if not on your hip, just in case. So yeah, it's super expensive. All the programs that you use are expensive. And it did take me probably three years to turn a profit. And that, I believe, is what they say is pretty normal in becoming a wedding photographer, is that it does take a few years to actually make money. So some things that I would have done differently, and this is hard to say because I feel like things happened the way they were meant to happen and I'm grateful for everything, but I feel like I was a little cocky at the start because I I did feel so confident in my shooting skills. I think everyone in the beginning thinks their stuff is better than it is and then the better you get, the more you hate your stuff. It's a really weird thing, but yeah, I was very cocky and I shouldn't have been and not cocky in like a mean way, but I really just... I don't know. I I thought it was really good. Um, (laughs) Another thing I I wish that I would have done would um, do more second shooting or mentorships or workshops right at the beginning. I definitely did a couple, but I think more second shooting especially would have been very helpful for me to see how other people worked and to see the workings of different weddings and different types of clients. And also just to get some low pressure practice. Because when you have an opportunity to not be the one thinking so hard all the time, you can be really creative. And it would have been nice to be able to blend those two worlds a little bit. But I was still working full time as a physiotherapist and then doing this very time consuming extra job as a photographer. And I just didn't want to use any extra weekends that I had going to second shoot with someone when I barely saw my husband. So yeah there's that but if it somehow could have worked out second shooting would have been amazing another thing would have been just be a little smarter with finances it was definitely one of those things that if i if i thought i needed something i would buy it right away there were things that i probably didn't need that i bought or you know i could have bought maybe lesser versions of but that's the way i did it i wanted the best stuff always and so you know top of the line. I was shooting Canon at the time. I definitely wanted everything to be an L-series lens. I would not do a third-party lens. Anyways, I was a little bit um, bougie with my spending habits with um, my photography career at that time. 
So that's where I'm going to wrap up for today. That is my messy start into wedding photography and into starting this little business of mine. There is so much more to come. I can't wait to share with you some insights on things that have made my life so much better, some lessons that I've learned and how I've made more money and have attracted my dream clients. That's all coming soon. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you so, so, so soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are a photographer looking to have a more fulfilling career, sign up for my email list in the show notes and stay updated on new episodes and content focused on creating and maintaining wellness in your photography business. Thank you so much. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.